Hello and welcome to another episode of Legends of the New Republic. I am David, one of your hosts, and we are continuing on today with our review slash read-through of Truce at Bakura by Kathy Tires. And we are diving in this week, starting at chapter 16, as the climax of the book begins. Joining me today are... Um, Chris, who once again has no media presence whatsoever for various reasons, um, none of which involve legality. Um, yeah. And, and I'm Jason, and apparently I hate my left foot. <laughs> what happened to your left foot? Uh, so I was taking the trash out and didn't realize that there was a bunch of small, very heavy objects. Oh, and no. they kind of fell out of the trash bag and onto my foot. Ow. Yeah, it was a great. A-plus job. And then to top it all off, as I'm walking taking the trash bags out. Uh, I was just wearing socks out in the driveway and I'm getting up towards the uh, garage and I slip a little bit on the pavement and I kick my foot out to try and keep my balance and I kick see. it right into that lip that's on the, uh, the, between the garage and the driveway. So I just smash my toe into that, uh, that raised lip. <laughs> you know, the, the toes that I just smashed on with, you know, lead based objects. So it's fun times, you know, Whew. And this is why you never throw out your toys, children. <laughs> and I'm Kat, and I'm in silent mourning for Jason's foot. Rip. <laughs> R.I.P. Jason's foot. And I'm Jay, a.k.a. SharkRide24, and I am currently playing Animal Crossing hunting for Raymond. Is that a, is is that a new game? Did they have a DLC hunting for Raymond? Is that how that works? Is it like an expansion? No, you're yeah. thinking of hunting for Red October. Ah, uh, that's actually a really good book, by the way. Red October is the best Animal Crossing villager. <laughs> <laughs> I I strangely believe that to be the case, even though I know for certain that that's not true. It's a small anthropomorphic Russian submarine that speaks in the voice of Sean Connery. <laughs> Remember, I would buy the game <laughs> just for that. Oh, no, I have somebody, nothing I... to play Animal Crossing on, but I would probably buy it just for that chance. <laughs> there was an out-of-context meme I saw the other day that was like, yeah, think about the fact that your alarm clock technically is your theme song because it starts at the beginning of every episode. And people were like, oh, no. And then it was like, yeah. And then this one guy was like, yeah, but my... Um, my alarm clock is the Soviet anthem, so checkmate. <laughs> I was like, that's actually kind of great. That's why I use um, my phone, because it lets me set it to Pandora, to any random station I want. And the oh, theme song for my episodes are different every single day. It's also because if I have an alarm clock set to a specific song for too long, I start like chucking my phone in terror <laughs> i i have my alarm set to wake up get up get out there from persona 5 nice uh because i can never get tired of that soundtrack it's impossible to it get is the tired first of soundtrack that i've ever seen that mixes rock j-pop and acid jazz and it works and it i every i'm intrigued morning i Every morning I wake up, I get up, get, and I don't get out there because I'm a responsible citizen who's taking <laughs> quarantine very seriously. Um, but when when I'm not in quarantine, I do indeed wake up, get up, get out there, and I feel like a phantom thief ready to take down all the corruption of the world. Yeehaw. <laughs> that game is great. Oh, I... It is. You all should watch it. On my YouTube channel, I'm doing a let's play of Plugs. it. That's <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> shameless plug. Uh, I I I don't know the meaning of the word not self advertising. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the word halfway through that sentence, so I'm just like, well, I guess I'm just going with it. Did you hate that? You just gotta so, keep trucking on. In Star on Wars Land, hmm? back on Bakura, we left last week. Uh, with Luke and Gariel and R2-D2 being confronted in a dive cantina by the docks by three sea rook. And I told a terrible joke, but the point of that joke was that they must have sent the worst sea rook to go capture Luke 
and Gariel and R2 if their whole thing is that they don't want to die on a planet that isn't their home world. But as we start chapter 16, we discover that, no, it's literally one random guy. And then it's also Ferrowerung and Blue Scale, the two most important sea rook outside of Admiral Ithpicus, who have come personally to risk their lives trying to capture Luke alongside Dev. So I don't know what they're thinking. At this point. Well, it's important to note that that you were correct. They did bring along their necessary red shirt. It's like when <laughs> Spock and Kirk go down and they just bring along poor uh, Ensign Expendable. Yes, and because who was the one who died? gets his head cut off? Okay, now but here's now what that we're talking about: Star Trek tropes. We really, <laughs> oh no! I, I can't not think about bearded, um, bearded Spock now. Like, I really just want a bearded Luke episode now, where you randomly just have Luke who's like, I'm just mildly dark side, like not really, but just like. Yeah, like then you get into the weird cross the streams, and you realize like the mirror universe here is just canon versus legends, and in one Luke has a beard. Yeah, I I, kind of want that now. I think that is the best way. Other Luke comes back, and he's like, "Wait, you're happy?" (laughs) Okay, but like, how did that happen? So the way that I interpreted that was kind of the Siruk. The the Siruk definitely have this superiority complex. So mm-hmm. the reason that all those important ones went down there was like, oh, we're the Siruk. No one can beat us. We're going to be perfectly fine going down to this hostile planet. They can't kill us. And they also, yeah, I think you're completely right. Because later in the scene, uh, Blue Scare starts talking to Dev and he's like, why isn't he coming with us? Like, he just assumed that Dev would be able to talk him into coming. I would also like to note that Dev is confirmed at some point uh, around this point in time to be about 15 or 16 years old. Yes. Oh, no. So all of the weird Dev shipping that's been going on is creepy. Oh, yeah. It's incredibly creepy. Don't do that to him. Um, <laughs> I, would, I would never. I'm not the one who's all about that twink loop life. That's oh, no, other this people. Is... This is to the other people. Dev is a brainwashed teenager. Leave him alone. <laughs> In a stripy robe, I should add. In a stripy robe. Oh, I geez. bet the stripy robe is the only thing good about his life at this point in time. <laughs> and it's probably not even that good. Yeah, it really doesn't as go well we for, for anybody other... involved in the fight. As if we needed more reason to compare the Siruk to Nazis. I mean, like, you're not wrong. That's the thing about the Star Wars <laughs> well, universe I mean, is all is almost every bad guy is a space Nazi. Almost. Not all of them, but almost. Yeah, until you get to the space bad caricature of Muslim extremists. But we'll I do don't that think later. That it's, I don't think that it's fair to, to compare them to, to space Nazis. Um, because their, their actual goals and such are vastly different. Um in terms of why they're doing what they're doing and how they're doing what they're doing. And I would more say that they're like a religious cult. Yeah, they're kind of the religion of their own coolness almost. Because uh, they don't, I don't think they're, they have a, I mean, they've got a religion in the sense that they think their souls are gone if they get killed somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I honestly, mean, they, they, they have that. So. They have, um, oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Yeah, you were going. Oh, okay. Um, they they have their um, issues with souls dying away from homeworld. Um, they have a clear hierarchy um, that's not just based on military prowess, as we see with Fearwing and Blue Scale. Um, they have specifically worked to enslave. Um, other similar species um, for their own benefit while claiming that uh, said species are also somehow benefiting, becoming more pure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, it, so they're, so they're, so they're white. People. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're white supremacists. That's actually an interesting point, because they really are all about the the sort of quote-unquote species purity. Like, it's mm-hmm. pretty much heavily implied well, that the Poex, their slaveries, are very... 
as, Sorry, as much as I, I can't entirely um, agree about the white, white supremacy thing, they fit way better into basically the, the ideals of imperialist Japan before World War II, in that they are hyper-nationalistic, hyper-ideologically ideolog um, consistent, and also a violently ethnocentric group. Um, so they seem to fit a little bit, at least from a historical standpoint, into that group a little bit a little bit cleaner than say the classic um, punching bag for white supremacy, the, you know, the British empire. I wasn't thinking of the British empire. Actually, I was more thinking of like um, the hyper right wing evangelical groups that are in um, among other places, my city um, where it's, it's, no, we don't necessarily look down on other people. It's just that you're gay and going to hell. <laughs> we don't but we still love you. you. I, I did just imagine a dinosaur saying that, and I'm having a hard time not laughing at that mental image, even if it <laughs> okay, is actually a horrifying thing. So something that I found interesting when I actually looked up the Siruk on Wikipedia, we don't see it in this book. But I read that their scale color determines, like, what they do. Like, blue-scaled Siruks tend to be politicians uh, and uh, diplomats, whereas the brown-scaled Siruk tend to be warriors. And, That's fascinating. And I'm like, so do they believe in, like, predetermination? Predestination, predeterminism. Uh, yeah. There are a bunch of different ways to say the same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you're also looking at a caste system then, too. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's well, funny because I just happened to look them up on Wikipedia just out of curiosity. Their appearances are quite long, but all of them except for the Trusit Bakura and New Jedi Order Force Heretic 2 Refugee have a little parenthesis just mentioned only. So people talk about them a lot, but they only show up twice. I mean, it's kind of like how people in in the um, Legends universe or or th talk or think about uh, Luke going over to the dark side and working with the Emperor's clone, and that literally happened in one comic book that one yeah. time. Everything feeds back into Dark Empire for some reason, <laughs> but boy, was it cool! Oh, no, no, it wasn't even a good comic book. I've read Look, it. <laughs> I would read an entire series of books covering that aspect if they were written. I, I've i started reading the comic book and I just sit there and I go, this is very 90s comics. <laughs> yes, it is. And see, the thing is, I can't decide whether The Rise of Skywalker or Dark Empire actually does the genesis of Palpatine coming back as a clone better. But at least... Luke doesn't turn to the dark side for incredibly stupid non-reasons in in actual canon. Is there is there a good reason to turn to the dark side that we've seen in any canon so far? <laughs> no, but it's a little <laughs> bit easier than like, oh, Palpatine asked and maybe this will help me now if I do this now instead of doing... Like, it's just sort of like after you have the big moment in the throne room where he does the same thing, but he's old and wrinkly, and then he asks you to join him, and he's young and has blonde hair. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, right, well, see, that's <laughs> that's that's how it makes sense. We've already established that Luke is the <laughs> ultimate twink. Yeah, I <laughs> This think... was the best reason. <laughs> I think... Actually, the art for Dark Side Luke is hilarious, because he basically just puts on a black robe and slicks his hair back. I mean, Greaser, Greaser Dark Side is an aesthetic. <laughs> but yeah, so back in the bar where they're having this fight... <laughs> Um, Gariel is trying to save Luke, right? So she shoots at one of the sea root, but she just misses entirely. And then they notice she's there with a gun, and they shoot her with a paddle beamer I mean, in the throat. I Fortunately, mean, she, the paddle beamers are stun guns. She she was trained in the Empire. The only way can, <laughs> the only way she could land a shot is if the blasters are set to stun. Yes, that's, exactly. That's the, Good that's point. the only way they know how to. Uh, and because the Sea Rook's blasters are set to stun, they hit her immediately, and she I, faints. I think there's a better breakdown for accuracy in Star Wars, and I think it has to do with how many lines the characters had in the show so far. <laughs> because if they've had less than, like, eight, I think that the rule is is that, like, anyone can just one-shot them, and that's it. 
Like they just die. There is no like meaningful anything. They can just be one shot. But if they've had two to like three different scenes, suddenly now they're just impenetrable and cannot possibly be stopped. I mean, that carries over to the Clone Wars because in the Clone Wars show, I can't tell you how many episodes there are where clones and droids are about 10 feet apart, standing in the open, shooting hundreds of bolts at each other, and like two of them get hit after <laughs> the extended conflict. <laughs> I really want to see the Spaceballs version of Star Wars that we've half invented now, where it's like <laughs> everyone's lighting up being like, all right, cool. This, like, we've captured a stormtrooper. We're just going to have him shoot at random recruits until one of them survives. And then we know he's the main character. And we'll just send him out because now he's invincible. <laughs> we call that the Force. <laughs> no, we, we call it, it... It's better than any stormtrooper armor. It's called plot armor. Dun, dun, dun. That's, dun, dun. that's literally... That's the Force for you. <laughs> Yeah. George so Lucas was brilliant in that he was like, here's this thing that is mystical and semi magical, but kind of sciencey, but kind of not. And Sorry. is also plot armor, but not actually, but it kind of is. No. <laughs> is anyone familiar with the Todd Howard meme? The releasing the uh, Skyrim over and over and over again. Todd Todd Howard, well, that, that's part of it. But he had a famous line talking about I think it was like Vault Fifty Six or something, the game that notoriously didn't work. Just saying, it just works. Oh yeah, like him being like, yeah, it's great. It just it just works. Yeah, that was that was him at uh, one of the E threes talking about how Fallout Seventy Six is going to work <laughs> with all the the being a mo massive multiplayer game and all the the his camps and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, and then hackers and then hackers immediately discovered that they just put a, a Fallout 76 skin over the Skyrim code. That's literally all they did for it. <laughs> they literally made Skyrim again, but in Fallout. <laughs> they just released the ultimate Skyrim mod. Yeah, I think that's what it is, and honestly, that makes me respect Todd Howard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's just the best modder of Skyrim ever. So, meantime, speaking of <laughs> plot armor, uh, Luke manages to break through Dev's like brainwashing <laughs> thing. The first good thing to happen to Dev the entire book. Poor Dev. <laughs> give the give the boy a, a breather. I also yeah. found it interesting how this was described because Luke describes the feeling of the brainwashing as if there's like this shadow presence kind of lurking in Dev's brain. Yeah, uh, and... Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> no, you're... Go ahead. Well, that's... Part of what I love about the way it's described is that there's that shadow presence, and Luke describes it as blasting it with light, which is a very Luke way of describing using the Force. But I love that the way that the Force is described and, and shown in the book, and in Star Wars in general, it's experienced primarily through sensation and emotion, not logic and, and um, reason. So everyone's experience with how the Force works is not described in a very logical way. It's a very emotional experience. So to Luke, what he's doing is feeling a dark presence and, quote, blasting it with light. Um, and this doesn't then make later... Like, it, you can't take that and be like, and that's how you cure this disease with the Force. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a mystical, personal experience every time it happens. So, wait. Does that mean, like... Luke would be one of those crystal oh, no. healer uh, anti-vaxxer moms. <laughs> um, I don't think I, so. No, I, I think... I don't think that he would necessarily be um, that thing, except that he already clearly is. <laughs> I don't think that he would be an anti-vaxxer. Crystal I'm healing. I'm more um, the, like ethical head hedge witches that i know 
<laughs> who are like, okay, no, I've I've talked with a hedge witch who was like talking about being asked about purifying somebody's house of spirits and such. And she was like, so the first thing that I asked them was, have they had their carbon monoxide levels checked? And they looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, look, it could be a spirit. But fun fact, a lot of the things that you're describing are actually carbon monoxide poisoning symptoms. So maybe you should check that before assuming it's spiritual. And I think that that's that's really descriptive of how Luke and Leia and a lot of other Jedi use the forces. They're like, yeah, this could be something involving the force. But have you like ruled out other possibilities have you tried anything else because he does try reasoning with dev and with the sea rook first he does try talking with them and he's like well that's not working something else is going on here i better like pop into the wellspring of the force here quick and uh just uh do diagnostics here i mean yeah and that's that's a good point and in fact later on in legends canon obviously we'll see him um like even the Jedi like Academy, the Jedi, not the Jedi Temple, but it's like an academy, basically. He has an actual like medical wing, like our medical chamber with mm-hmm. like a doctor. It's a Jedi doctor, but he's doing medicine. And then the force is sort of there to help. It's, yeah. uh, he's like, no, I understand the force is helpful for healing, but so is medicine yeah, and the Band-Aid. <laughs> Bacta pad, thanks. I was gonna say, when you have Bacta, you don't even really need religious force healing. You can just throw somebody into a tub full of Bacta. Well, I it's mean, scientifically proven to help in every situation for some reason. I mean, it's 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 the non-force plot armor. <laughs> I, there would be a book we get to yes, um, that talks about Bacta that's... in depth, and it's actually quite a good book. The so Bacta Wars. Yes, the Bacta Wars. <laughs> It's quite cool, and I'm. It's a very interesting setup. So, um, we'll leave the Bacta to the Bacta War, and we'll go back to the bar where uh, Luke is having R two drag Gary away, um, out of danger while he tries to free Dev's mind. Dev is confused um, because he's he's suddenly thinking clearly for the first time, and suddenly the Sea are asking him questions, and he kind of has to remember to continue to play the role of brainwashed guy. <laughs> so that they don't immediately attack. Um, but the distraction of Gariel being knocked out and trying to free Dev's mind gives Blue Scale the opportunity to tail whip Luke in the head and knock him unconscious. Um, Wait, that's not fair. <laughs> tail whip is only supposed to lower your defense. It doesn't It damage. did. It just lowered them all the way. <laughs> it was super effective. <laughs> um so they, Dev has to continue to fake being brainwashed and carry Luke with them as they retreat back to the ship, um, trying to come up with a solution for how do I stop this from happening? How do I stop them from attacking Luke and doing their like weird mind enslavement from a distance plan? <laughs> and the best thing he can think of is, well, if it, <laughs> if it comes down to it, I'll just kill him and then me <laughs> uh, so that they can't use either one of us to do it. Ah, uh, murder-suicide. The most romantic I, of all. I think that this was I think that this was the most logical option for a 15-year-old child who is super traumatized and knows what's going on. Well, also, suicide takes on an interesting moral conundrum once you establish like exactly what's going on in the afterlife. Like for Dev and for Luke in this instance, they know exactly what their souls are going to be doing for the next forever if they get intact. Yeah. So, like, there is an entirely different moral obligation at this time in which murdering your friend and then offing yourself, maybe not the worst idea. Well, to be fair, I don't think Dev actually plans to kill himself specifically, but he knows they will kill him if he tries to kill Luke. Um, But I don't know. We'll uh, have to go back and look and see what he actually says. But uh, as Dev is contemplating his desperate plan, Han and Leia are shooting their way out of the detention facility because... That's usually Han's plan. <laughs> I mean, that's how they get their Ideal way out date. of. That's how they get their way out of any situation. Yeah, so they just shoot a bunch of stormtroopers uh, and hop on a speeder to escape. But as they're getting away, they realize there are a large number of Imperial speeders that are very close, coming in very fast and very heavily armed. And Leia realizes that, of course, it was a trap. 
because Narius was just looking for a political pretense to off her as quickly as possible. But uh, because Luke has put the flurry on alert, uh, it has sent some X-Wings to save them, and they shoot down the Imperial speeders before flying back up into space because the Sea Rook have attacked and there are alarms going off across the city uh, because everybody's just stabbing everybody in the back. And even though they gave them Luke, the Sea Rook have decided to kill the Imperials anyway. Which seems valid. Yeah, I mean, if everyone except the Rebels is planning to double-cross everyone, it all just piles up here at the end. <laughs> so they fly back to Salas Dar and get back to the uh, Falcon, where Chewie's trying to fix C-3PO after shooting him. Poor uh, Chewie. <laughs> and there's literally a scene where he's like, you what? You shot him? And Chewie says something and Han's like, yeah, you're right, I probably should have called. That wasn't in the audiobook. <laughs> Instead of telling C-3PO to, tell, to call Luke and tell Luke to call you, I probably should have just called you, since we all have comlinks. Which addresses to something that we brought up in a previous episode. Why don't they have group text? They really should. Uh, so Chewie also tells Han that he got some more power for the Falcon Shields. Um, and Han's at first like, oh, okay, cool. And he's like, wait a minute, what did you give up to get that? And he's like, well, the Falcon's a little bit slower now. And Han's like, no, no. As soon as we're out of this, we're putting this back to my specifications. <laughs> we do not Chewie's leave any like, speed. I felt like we needed speed some Speed is a defense. Han, gotta go fast. Exactly. See, exactly. It's not even like sublight speeds. It's just slower in hyperspace. Uh, this is a problem I have a little bit with Chewbacca's characterization in this book thus far. Chewbacca is essentially <laughs> the much better like partner in this relationship. Like he is the smarter one, he is the more refined one, he's the one who's technically making all the right decisions, and Han Solo I mean, is just running around being like, But I want it to go fast. Paint it red. I mean, that's, he's like, wait okay, a minute, you're describing the normal just, relationship between Han and Chewie. That's just the canon relationship between them. You realize that, right? Not Chris? really. Like within the movies, it's not their relationship. And when like uh, the extended universe outside of this particular window, like Han Solo did save Chewbacca in the story before Solo came out and technically after Solo came out, but they yes. were partners and also people that like had a respect for one another in this. It almost feels like Chewbacca is just patronizing Han. I, I mean, that. I mean, and I do think that it depends on the, I think Chewie is one of the characters that has the worst time getting like correctly characterized. That's just fair. because it's really hard to characterize someone quite as alien as Chewbacca. Well, in a book. Oh, and um, he's super fun. Like, I love Chewbacca in this book. He's great. I just dislike their <laughs> dynamic because of how great he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, his his characterization will vary pretty wildly, but I think I can see your point here. And he's usually not quite so, like, froofy British with his <laughs> internal dialogue. <laughs> well, and I think, too, that um, because in the movies and the one book, series that came out before this one in the Legends universe Mm -hmm. Um, there wasn't a lot to go off of as far as Chewbacca's thought processes established Um, and I mean in the movies you primarily do see him you know yeah he does have instances where he's like yeah no that's a dumb plan Han Um, and frustration with um, technological repairs that he's having to do under a lot of pressure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is, um, because this is happening all within like, now, what, a couple weeks after the destruction of the second Death Star? I think Um, this is only a few days after that. I don't know how long they've been. Yeah, somewhere I'm going with, it's been about a week, week and a half tops. I think that's probably fair, given what's Um, happened. So, in that time, the Falcon has broken how many times since the <laughs> end, uh, since, since, um, the Return of the Jedi, um, and during the Return of the Jedi, he's still dealing with repairs on that, because they left before it was fully repaired at the beginning of the book. He's now shot C-3PO again. <laughs> Which, I mean, technically, technically C-3PO deserved it, though. C-3PO absolutely deserved it. However, um... So, how, what did he do to deserve it? Because, like I said, this was not in the audiobook. 
Oh, um, he was dressed up as a stormtrooper and didn't bother taking off the helmet when he was approaching Chewbacca. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, good old, yeah, he, good old he kinda, C-3PO. He, he so kind of walked that. himself into he that one. He is trying to be a good wingman to Han, who... Oh, yeah, um, with the love nest. Per, per Wookiee standards, Han is terrible at romance. Um, per um, any standards, Han is terrible at romance. <laughs> well, you, well, you see, son, when a man and a woman love each other very much, they get a <laughs> to, to throw back to the Red October, some things in here don't react so well to scoundrels. <laughs> <laughs> so you have that. He's trying to encourage Han to date literally the best and possibly only woman Han has had more than one conversation with <laughs> without immediately getting slapped um, and or shot. And well, or this both. is especially interesting in light of the rest of Legends, which again, this hadn't been written at the time this book came out. But we learn in uh, one of the early Legends books, the Han Solo trilogy, that talk about his origins. The last time and Chewie knows this, that Han had a serious relationship was with a woman who ended up dying for the rebellion. And so he swore it off. He was just like, you know what? This is not worth it. It's not worth catching feelings. I'm not going to, I'm just going to stay aloof because this, these people go off and get themselves killed in their stupid idealistic crusades. Right. And so for Chewie being like, no, no, you should absolutely go for this. Don't fall <laughs> back into being that guy again. <laughs> uh, my my only point that I would like to make before we completely move on from this dynamic discussion is that, yeah, like those stories and that dynamic between Han and Chewbacca is present in the films, but you also have Han shoving Chewie into the trash compactor when <laughs> Chewie just didn't want to go. And like yeah. his entire response was, I just don't want to go. And he's like, suck it up, buttercup, and kicks him in. Like this is also their dynamic. And I don't feel yes. like that part is really represented in the book, which I miss that part of. That's, That's fair. fair. I think they're at their best when they are shoring up each other's weak points. Yeah. I just think that for this standalone book, Han has more weak points that need to be shored up than Chewie does at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this particular Legends author ends up writing other characterizations where Chewie needs more shoring up than Han and, and delves more into that dynamic. So. And I look forward to reading all of them. <laughs> so Shameless plug for the podcast. <laughs> Shameless we'll advertisement for those in 25 years. For no. listening to. Uh, don't judge me. I, I will turn this entire podcast around just so we can get to Order 66 by Karen Travis. I will, <laughs> yes. I will do that. Moving on to chapter 17. Yeah, take it away. Oh, you want me to be in charge of things? No. <laughs> so we, Gariel, after... Like when people read the, the show notes that aren't me, so it doesn't always sound like I'm just like wrangling everything back on track. <laughs> so Gariel, uh, after getting uh, stunned by the paddle beamer slash um, sci-fi ping pong paddle device, uh, wakes up in the Imperial base um, and she's being examined by a medic and then gets dragged over to uh, Governor Nereus's uh, office, who has apparently a tooth fetish. <laughs> <laughs> he has an entire, like, massive collection of hunting trophies from predator species um, from various and sundry worlds, and he has them, like, divided in his office, where one side is... Um, non-sentient species and the other side is sentient species and he even has this little like crystal holder thing that has human incisors in it and he hands it to her and is like check out my collection it's so stupid it's like the kid on the playground who picks his nose and goes up to a girl and says hey or look at my boobie go, go ahead Jason but, I cut you off I was going to say, as somebody who's worked at a gun shop before and dealt with lots of hunters and stuff, I mean, teeth is one of the more tamer things that you can collect from your hunts, so... See, see, it's not, it's not the teeth themselves that creeps me out in this situation. Mm -hmm. It's not. I 
think that the collection of predatory species teeth is a very fascinating collection. And in other circumstances, if I were Gariel, I would be like, cool. <laughs> like, tell me what that one's from. And then, then he has to go, and these are from Wookiees? And here's my people teeth. It's, and... it's the collection of teeth from sentient species with the implication, and he even specifically says that he prefers to add things to his collection that he has hunted himself. And... The fact that he's doing this to a woman who literally just woke up after being attacked and they're alone and um, he is in a position of power where he can literally kill her at any given point in time and nobody's going to be able to stop him. This Especially is a when the, One of the things he says is, I may even pardon you after all of this is over and add you to my personal staff. That is and also then look at the my biggest bogey. top energy thing he could have done. He's it quite is. creepy in this scene. It, it's, yeah, but no, I, I definitely agree with Kat that this was definitely an inappropriate time. It was definitely a, a power move to a degree, but also a very much a threat to a degree as well. Yeah, if, yeah, if he had just been of... like, at any other point in time in this book, if he had invited Gariel over and been like, hey, this is a really, really cool thing. Here's my collection of non-sentient predator species teeth. I am a hunter. I really enjoy hunting. I travel off-world to um, go hunting and such. It's it's incredible. You know, here's all this information about these different species. And Look so at on this and so stuff. Forth. That Isn't would be sexy. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> well, at the same time, I'm just waiting for someone to be like, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Like, after just hearing <laughs> that. Whereas, like, I'm a, I'm a hunter. I like hunting predatory things. Here's this other stuff. And by the way, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Like, Yes. Well, the thing is, I don't even think it's so creepy that he's like, I like to hunt predatory species because done correctly and for the right reasons, you know, that can be a helpful thing if you're taking out dangerous predators, especially in Star Wars, where the galaxy is nowhere near as, as civilized and settled as the modern world is. And it's actually endangering people to have these predators out there. But one of the things that that I noticed that you did not include in the show notes <laughs> is that he has this table that has concentric rings in it and such that looks kind of like wood, but not. And he says that it's the uh, cross section of a tooth of a species that is no longer in existence. Oh, so I forgot this, the table. So this implies that not only is he hunter is he a hunter but he's uh, a murderer because he's killed species that are intelligent mm -hmm. and he's an irresponsible trophy hunter that has contributed directly to his own knowledge to the extinction of species was the table on the i hunted it side like he was it a sentient was it a sentient species or was it not that particular that's tooth? that's not clarified all that's said is that the species is no longer right. in existence oh no like the so, the heinous the heinous nature of the act does not change mm -hmm. i was just really think i was just really interested in like what thing would be like alive and be that big and sentient and i was like that why would be am i just worried that Nereus has killed a luck dragon that's fair yeah, I mean, uh, none what of dragon? it's clarified, and the the fluffy dragons from uh, the Neverending Story. I love the Neverending Story. Thank you so much I... for the reference, by the way. I never, <laughs> I never watched it. Don't do it if you like horses. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely enough, that's the only part of it that I've seen. <laughs> I saw someone who cosplayed as the horse and the guy, but the horse was like. It was like he was dragging around a maquette of like a horse that was like partway in the water, like trying to get out. It was horrifying. Oh anyway, yeah, I've seen um, that one. That was I don't remember great. that part of Never Ending Story. <laughs> He's a, so Nereus gets even it. creepier. He gets even creepier after revealing this because then he says he, he kind of tips his hand a little bit. He's like, you know what? I know you have rebel sympathies because I know that you had dinner with Skywalker, which apparently is evil uh, in his eyes. But he also reveals that that meal that she shared with Luke uh, when she ordered room service and had it diverted to Luke's room, he had had that laced 
with parasite eggs. I think it's the Oblarian trichoid or something like that. Um, he had three eggs put in the food. They're little tiny eggs. Um, and he, he's wondering because she starts coughing as the scene begins. And he's like, aha, I thought so. And basically she's eaten one of the three eggs. The other two are inside of Luke, but she's got one of these parasites. And he's just like casually talking about this and describing how these things kind of like alien, really. They just eat their way through your lungs into your heart and then come out your throat and infect other people. And he's just like casually describing this to her while she's realizing that this thing is inside of her. And then just as another power move, he's like, oh, but they're easily cured. Here, bring in some oxygen, pure oxygen. Breathe this. I can save you from this thing that I've infected you with. Uh, and so she just like, desperately, you know, sucks down oxygen until she starts coughing enough to throw this thing up on the floor. And I, then he just kind of like casually moves on in the conversation like that hadn't happened. I actually once saw a really interesting take on that where somebody did that entire um, setup. Set and then actually found out, like, told the person um, that they actually just drank the poison that they thought they had when they gave the antidote to him. So they're like, yeah, I never poisoned you at all. I just lied about it. And that was the poison you just drank. Like, there was no like antidote. I've seen that too, but I, I just don't remember you. where I saw that. It's a, it was a great move. I can't remember the show either, but it was a great move. I was like, well done. Well done. Yeah. Good play. Narius isn't quite that smart. <laughs> Narius isn't smart. Uh, <laughs> Narius kills things that should be left alone and probably belong in a museum <laughs> um, yeah he's lucky that alternate universe Han isn't here to, to whip him although he might like that I don't know <laughs> Narius is a top he wouldn't like that there you go we have, uh, so... we have canon we have canon he would not like it <laughs> while he's being creepy to Gariel and forcing her to kind of watch the battle from his hollow table in the room, which is not the bone table, he's got a different one. Um, we go back to Dev, that is, who is please, panicking. Please don't call it the bone table. <laughs> that gives off a completely different meaning. I would like to make a motion. Please. I would like to make a motion to forever refer to it as the bone table. <laughs> I also I'm glad you're here to catch these things when I say them. <laughs> I also feel like we now need to have a new bone table every every book. Like we need to find a table and be like, "This is our new bone table." Uh, Tooth top. <laughs> <laughs> um. So meanwhile, back on back aboard the um, I can't remember the name of the ship, the Searuk uh, Cruiser. Dev is in full panic mode. He's like basically force screaming at Luke mentally to wake up and help. Uh, and Luke is unresponsive. So he's making as many plans as he can to figure out how he's going to kill both of them while trying to pretend to still be brainwashed. Best date ever. It's, it's terrifying for him. Uh, and the Sea Rook are all, you know, they're pretending to be nice. And he's now, now that he's free of his brainwashing, he's recognizing all of the ways that they've been manipulating him all this time. It's like, oh, false praise. I get it. Like, they were just manipulating me this entire, entire time. And uh, backhanded compliments. Yes. So, like, he, he, they say things to him that he's like, oh, they were insulting me, but I was hearing just the good part of it and not getting it. Yeah. And that's something that, that does occur when children are abused. They'll get very very backhanded compliments about their accomplishments and such and it can destroy a child's and teen's sense of self sense of their worth and such and he's been dealing with this since he was like five yeah this is a big wake-up call for him yeah and it's the worst timing for it too because he doesn't really know how to to act um, well, he, he knows how to act, but he's having a hard time, like, keeping up the charade as yeah. they are bringing him to, because, I mean, he's, I mean, th this is a weird thing that I noticed. They keep referring to what the Zeroop want to do as the end of, quote, humankind. And I think it has more to do with the fact that I think in early Star Wars, um, it was assumed there are way more humans in the galaxy than aliens, purely because that's how I think the movie's were presenting that because they didn't have enough money for alien costumes. And now that we've had more movies, it's obvious that like humanity is not like, but, the numerous numeric species in the galaxy necessarily I was about to say, compared but that, to other species. 
was about to say, I'm sorry, didn't you catch it off specifically, That's but fine. I thought that that was actually something that was established in later canon was that essentially like humans were the most numerically populated because they technically own most of the core worlds. Like, um, Quat. yeah, in legends, in legends, it is true. Um, that the basically again and this is just the way legends established it that humans started off in the core and kind of spread from there um and they were the ones who kind of started the republic so they were the ones going out and finding all these other species which is where the human-centric human uh superiority racism of the empire ends up coming from it's yeah, sort of it's, like, oh, well, it's, we started all this it's imperialism it's it's you know the, the British being like, we're better and more civilized, and we're near the center of everything, so watch this. Right, exactly. I just thought it was interesting that everyone keeps referring to the Seabrook invasion as the end of humankind, as the aliens aren't also part of this. And it's rebels doing this. Like, we don't even hear an Imperial do this. Um, mm-hmm. It's the supposedly better people that are still thinking of things in very humanistic terms. Although we haven't actually established with the Rook whether or not they could use other aliens, because one of that's the actually things true. that's brought up with the Puek, which is why they they would prefer to use humans, is that Pueks, for whatever reason, um, do not last as long in Entect equipment. So that's a good point because I didn't think possible about that. that there's something specific about human physiology. I think it's in called what. <laughs> that's true too uh, but Valid. I mean you know for the sake of argument here there could be something specific to human and perhaps one or two other species physiology that makes them particularly long lasting in this and that would make them the first target so I think this may be where I realize I have made an assumption based on what the book said that may not be true I assumed that because both Plex and Siruk are stated to be very mute in their connectivity to the force that it was the humans force connectivity and their their ability to feel the force that was making them better in techman subjects and that that would also apply to other alien species but i'm not actually sure that they ever say in the book the reason that works is because of the force it's never actually specifically said yeah why. so i think i just made an assumption there wow it's not actually david written down i know it's terrible making, yeah, <laughs> you're the worst speciest <laughs> I don't um, want to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> so they finally get Luke up to hit a special entechment chair where they're going to use him to kind of enslave all of the people on the planet from a distance. Um, but before they activate it, they kind of both Blue Scale and Fairwong then just turn and they're like, okay, Dev, we're going to give you what you always wanted. It's finally time to entech you. And Dev's and like, Dev's oh, like fuck. oh, no. <laughs> yeah, really. And he realizes, uh, based on what they say, that he may have hid what he could sense as his uh, his signs of betrayal, but they can smell him, and his odor is off because he's fear sweating, uh, and they know that he's lying, basically. <laughs> so in that moment of desperation, Dev jumps on Luke and starts to throttle him to death, <laughs> and then we end on a cliffhanger this week because <laughs> that's yes. where the chapter ends. All, all I'm picturing is like that one meme from Key and Peel, where it's literally just like um, Peel just like sweating literal like buckets <laughs> of sweat. Yeah. With like the Siruk are like, hey man, um, something off. And it's just like him with water dripping down his face. No, I'm fine. <laughs> so yeah, that's where we end this week. And we have, I think, only got three chapters left of Truce at Bakura to go. And they are some crazy, crazy chapters because there's a lot that's about to happen. (laughs) So thank you for joining us this week. I hope you have enjoyed uh, this week's trek through Truce at Bakura. Uh, I'm David. Once again, you can find me on Twitter at AKA Agent Shades. And you can find me on YouTube by going to my Twitter and looking up my YouTube link because I never remember what it is. Uh, (laughs) I do Let's Play videos, random crap. I have some lightsaber videos on there now because apparently my channel is going to be that unfocused. Anyway, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> um, and I'm Chris. Um, you can't find um, and, and I'm Jason, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at GhostShark20, uh, and that's about it at the moment. And I'm Kat. You can find me on Twitter at SeagullSoup. 
Uh, as per last week's episode, I am 100% serious. Please tweet me with your technology that is designed, made, constructed without the use of your thumbs. And then please, <laughs> and then please include a hashtag that said Chris. Chris said this, and then send that on. Yeah, please do. Is, is this a thumb war? Yes. <laughs> no, this hashtag, is a... <laughs> hashtag star thumb wars. Oh, <laughs> Has, hashtag all thumbs are people. And I'm Sharkray24, a.k.a. J. Um, I don't know what's happening anymore. Um, you can find me on YouTube... I'm doing a Persona 5 Let's Play. I do dramatic readings. I do voice acting. My commissions are open. Please commission me. If you can't commission me, then retweet or reblog my Twitter slash Tumblr posts um, about my commissions. And I, I survived this week's episode, which is better than what I thought I would get, was going to be doing. So, yeah. How many tickets have you used looking for Raymond yet? Um, let's see. That last island was island number 11. And then I took a small break because one of my friends had turn up prices for like 623 bells. Oh, wow. Uh, so I, I went to break the bank really quickly. And now I'm going back to my Raymond hunt. Um, hopefully with luck like that, uh, I haven't use up all my luck and I will hopefully get Raymond within these 35 total tickets. I think the key to finding Raymond is to get the last piece of the map for R2 and he can lead you to Octo. Ooh, <laughs> I heard that. Just don't try to give Raymond a lightsaber. He'll just, he doesn't like it. It's not his style. 